We're in the 31st chapter of Jeremiah. Remember that chapters 30 to 33 of this prophecy are called the songs of comforts. And they are all about the coming Messiah. Uh, and at Christmas, that is what we are looking at. And normally we would turn to either the Gospels in the New Testament or to Isaiah or Micah in the Old Testament. But Jeremiah in chapters 30 to 33 has a Christmas message as well. And the verses that we had in our reading is what I would like us to consider this morning. And if you know your New Testament, you will realize that when King Herod heard about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, he was jealous and he commanded all male babies to be killed. And it is reported by Matthew, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and these were the words we had in our reading, a voice was heard in Ramah, verse 15 of Jeremiah 31, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel weeping. Rachel weeping. Now, originally, Jeremiah was thinking about the children of Israel being taken captive. Ramah, just the geography now, was about five miles north of Jerusalem, and it was a refugee camp. So the children of Israel were taken to this transit camp in Ramah, and children would be separated from their parents, and they would all be taken captive further up into Babylon. And the mothers would be wailing in sorrow. And Jeremiah, staying in Jerusalem, could hear this wailing. Uh, and that is what he's writing about in the verses that we had in our reading. So in Jeremiah's day, it was mothers being separated from their children as they're taken away from home. In the New Testament, the Christmas theme, it's the infanticide that King Herod conducted when Jesus was born, one of the most horrific events in the whole of the Bible. I think uh, there's a famous painting, isn't there, by Giotto, The Massacre of the Innocents. And then there's reference to Rachel weeping. Who was Rachel? Who was Rachel? You go right back to the book of Genesis. Rachel was married to Jacob, and Rachel gave birth to Benjamin in Bethlehem, and she died. She died, and Jacob mourned for Rachel. 
So what Jeremiah is doing here, he's reversing the roles. It's not Jacob now that is weeping, but Rachel is weeping. So there are three reasons here for sorrowing. First of all, there is Rachel weeping because she died in Bethlehem. And that was Jacob that was sorrowing back in the book of Genesis in Jeremiah's day. Rachel is weeping, metaphorically, standing for all the mothers in Israel because their children have been taken from them and they've been taken into captivity from the transit camp in Ramah and in Jesus' day because of what King Herod did, killing all those innocents, infant boys. There is weeping in the land. And 2,000 years later, here are we, and have things changed? Maybe we've got a picture postcard view of Christmas. I, I quite like the Dickensian idea of Christmas. You know, you've got uh, the logs on the fire and a Christmas tree uh, with presents around it and mince pies and Stalin, and it's all cosy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not like that, is it? Christmas isn't like that. The Bible's description of Christmas isn't like that. Matthew's quoting of these verses shows that the world that the Bible is talking about is the real world, the same world that you and I are in this morning. And maybe there are Rachels weeping here this morning. This world is a veil of tears. And sometimes Christmas time can be the hardest time of the year because it reminds people of the loneliness and the pain. This is Jeremiah's message for us. I don't know if you're familiar with Simon and Garfunkel's songs. But they've got a rendition of Silent Nights. And if you listen to it, at first you can hear the carol, Silent Nights. And there's a distant noise in the background. But as the carol continues, the noise in the background becomes louder. And what it is, is the seven o'clock news. So the song is called Silent Nights, Seven O'Clock News. Because it's excerpts. From the 7 o'clock news, I think it was the 70s that they did the song, either the late 60s or the 70s. And it's all bad news. So here uh, is this traditional carol describing all is quiet, all is calm, all is bright. And then you've got the news bulletin. And all is not calm and all is not bright and all is not quiet. That's the Bible for you. It's real, it's real. And what Jeremiah is saying to you and me this morning, there's another song which has the refrain, Rachel, dry your tears. That's what God is saying to you and me this morning. Dry your tears. To quote another musical piece that is often played at Christmas, Handel's Messiah, how does that oratorio begin? It begins with those verses from Isaiah, does it not? 
Comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people, saith your God. This is what Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said. We are not forbidden to mourn. It wouldn't be natural, would it, if, if we didn't sorrow in this life. But we must not sorrow as those who have no hope. This is what Jeremiah is offering us this morning. This is what the message of Christmas is. Yes, this world is a veil of tears often. It's got its delights. It's got the things that we enjoy. But in the midst of life, we are in death. There are problems. There are things that are bearing down upon us. And maybe you are here this morning sorrowing like Rachel would have. But there is a hope. There is a hope. Now that is what we want to look at this morning. How can I dry my tears? How can I hope in this world? And this is the second Christmas where things are still not back to normal. Isn't that enough to wear anyone down? When is this going to end? Is it going to be like this in a year's time? My friends, the message of Christmas is a message of hope. The hopes and fears, says another carol, of all the years are met in thee tonight. Now let's look at why we can hope, why we can wipe away our tears. The first reason is this. God says, come back. Come back. Verses 16 and 17. If you've got a Bible, look at verses 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping. Wipe away your tears. For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back. From the land of the enemy. There is a hope. There is a hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. Isn't that a lovely promise? These mothers that are sorrowing because their children have been taken away from them and are in an alien land in Babylon. God says through Jeremiah the prophet, and remember Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. He wasn't standing there aloof from these grieving mothers he felt for them and he is saying it's all right it's all right to cry but oh there is a hope because your children shall one day come back what a promise what a promise now we know from looking at jeremiah that captivity in babylon is a picture of our captivity to sin. And what God is saying to us this morning is come back. Come home. Isn't that what Christmas is all about in many ways? Coming home for Christmas. What a promise. What a promise. Now, who does God refer to in particular? Verse 18, there's a name. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning 
himself. Verse 20, is Ephraim, my dear son? Now, Ephraim was one of the northern tribes. And Ephraim here is a picture of a rebellious son, a rebellious child. I don't know if I should ask if you've got rebellious children, but we know, don't we, what a rebellious child is like. So infuriating. So infuriating. And yet, we still love them. And God is addressing these people as rebellious children. And he's not in a huff with them. He hasn't been so offended by their behavior that he says, there's no hope for you. I'm done with you. Oh no, the heart of God towards Ephraim, towards you and me, who are rebellious children, is come. Come home. There's a beautiful description here of repentance. Look at how Ephraim speaks. Verse 18, he's bemoaning himself. He's grieving. In the New Testament, Jesus uses this picture to describe repentance, coming home. It's a description of repentance. If this was an interactive Bible study, I'd ask you, where in the New Testament is repentance described as somebody coming home? A rebellious son coming home. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Somebody like Ephraim, who's rebelled so far from his father's house. He's gone into a far country. And what happens to him in that far country? He spends everything that he's got. And when he's reached the bottom of the barrel, he comes to his senses. He begins to repent. And what does he do? What does he do? Well, he bemoans his condition. He starts sorrowing for his foolishness. And this is exactly what Ephraim does. Oh, my friend, have you ever sorrowed? Not so much because of your circumstances. There is nothing wrong in doing that. But have you ever sorrowed for your sin? That is what repentance is all about. Have you ever felt bad? Not so much about being found out, but about the fact that you've got this heart, as Jeremiah has put it already, this heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Oh, heart of mine. Who can change it? Have you ever sorrowed for sin? Jesus Christ said, blessed are you. Happy are you if you have mourned in that way. You will know comforts. You will know comforts. And then what else does repentance involve in Ephraim? Not only does he bemoan his sin, But he does something. He says, you have chastised me. He's speaking to God. And I was chastised like an untrained bull. And then he says, verse 19, surely after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed. Yea, humiliated. What does he do? 
he suddenly realizes how stupid I've been. You know, when a person has an eureka moment, <laughs> it's the picture of somebody here saying, I see it now. What a rotter I've been. That's what happens when you repent. <laughs> you realize that you've been a fake. You realize how you've treated other people. And you realize how you've treated God. When David was convicted of his sin by Nathan the prophet, David said, against thee, God, thee only have I sinned. He's come to his senses. For months he was suffering from spiritual amnesia. But now, he says, I've been top, as we say in Wales. Have you come to your senses? Have you come clean? That's what's happened to Ephraim. As St. Cliff Ferguson said in one book of his, you can always tell when a person has come to his senses. It shows on their face. They've got nothing more to hide. Don't we often try to hide things from God? Give up. So he sorrows for his sin. He realizes, he acknowledges that he has rebelled against God. He's no longer blaming others, in other words. He's blaming himself. And then, of course, this is the nub of repentance. He turns. He turns. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me. I can't do it, Lord. Restore me. You do it and I will return. For you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning I repented. Isn't that interesting? Repenting means to turn. And he says, even after I turned, I turned. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, does it? Not grammatically, but it does theologically. Because... Our whole life is one of continual turning. And he's turning to what? He's turning from his waywardness. Turning to God. Turning from Babylon. From captivity. Turning to Jerusalem. Turning from a life where we're really away from what we're created for. Turning to what we are made for. My friends, becoming a Christian is coming home. You and I weren't made to rebel against God. We were made to know him and enjoy communion with him and obey him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this Christmas time was a Christmas when... Children didn't just come home physically, but that children, even children in this church, came home in the truest of senses. Wouldn't that be the best Christmas presents for many of you? That families would be complete, not just 
because people are around the table for Christmas dinner, but because people are around the throne of grace. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Are there Rachels here this morning who have been weeping for their children for years? God says, wipe away your tears. In my time, I will bring them. I will bring them. Am I talking to Ephraims here this morning? Maybe you're in church, but you're not with the Lord. You're spiritually away from him. And you know it in your heart of hearts. You need to come to God. My friend, God doesn't just invite those who are his. He invites those who are outcasts. He invites the Ephraims, those who are already backslidden. Isn't that encouraging? It's not just come, all you faithful. It's come, you who are unfaithful. In your coming, you will become faithful then. I had a request for us to sing on a Sunday morning the rendition of come, all you unfaithful. And I, I, I don't think we could have sung it. <laughs> it's not in our collection, but it's spot on. L listen, this is what it is to come. This is what Ephraim is being invited to do. This is what you and I are being invited to do. Even if you're not... Um, unconverted this morning, even if you are a believer and you feel as if you've gone away from the Lord, I just want to invite you to come. Oh, come, all you unfaithful. Oh, come, weak and unstable. Come. No, you are not alone. You are not alone. Oh, come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying. Come, see, what your God has done, Christ is born for you. O come, bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken. You can't tell other people your fears, but come with fears unspoken. Come, taste of his perfect love. O come, guilty and hiding ones. There is no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born for you. Come, though you have nothing, come, he is the offering, come, see what your God has done. He is the lamb, Jesus Christ, who was given, slain for our pardon, his promise is peace for those who believe, he is the lamb who was given, slain for our pardon, his promise is peace for those who believe, Christ is born for you. Praise God. And to you, Ephraims is born this day in the city of David, a saviour. So this is the first reason why we can 
wipe away our tears, why we can have a hope. Because God invites us to come. Come home, come home, come to me. And then there's a second reason before we come to communion. Not only does God invite, but God has done something. God has done something. One of my favorite accounts in the Old Testament is that of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was related to King Saul, and he was lame in both feet. And after Saul died and David became king, Mephibosheth was an outcast. And David's heart goes out to Mephibosheth. He's a picture of God. God's heart going out to Ephraim. And David invites Mephibosheth to come to the palace, right? Just as God is inviting you and me to come to Jesus Christ. But what David does, he doesn't just invite Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth can't walk. He doesn't just invite Mephibosheth and sends crutches to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is brought to the palace. And this is what God does. He doesn't just invite us to come home. He brings us. What does he say? Verse 20, verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. So God's heart is going out to you and to me and to our children this morning. But it's more than that. Oh, wonderful love that springs from the heart of the Father above. But it's more than that. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. God's heart goes out. But that love has done something. It's done something. That's what we're remembering at Christmas time. What is it that God has done? How is God going to bring these wayward children home? He invites the Ephraims to come back to him. But it wasn't the people that decided to come back from captivity, was it? It was God who brought them back. What has God done? I, I don't know if you noticed, we had some words which we looked at last time in chapter 30. Verse 11, verse 11, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, I'll explain that in a minute, and here's the word we looked at last time, and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Now isn't it interesting that Jeremiah repeats the same words even in the next chapter, he is, as it were, reminding these people of the most important things in the Christian life. What's a ransom? A ransom is a legal word and describes payments that is made to secure the release of a person or a people. I think of those missionaries that have been kidnapped in Haiti. I don't know if a ransom was paid for their release. That's what normally happens when a person is kidnapped. And we saw last time, because we are captive to sin, a ransom has to be paid. And that's what happened on the cross. We can't pay the ransom because we are involved. We are sinners. Whatever we offer God is unclean. But Jesus Christ came into this world. God's son became a man and he was pure. And he came in order to pay the ransom. And that's what he did on the cross. 
But then there's a new word here. There's the word redeemed. Redeemed. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. Verse 11. What's redeem? It's similar to ransom. But it's linked to a member of a family. So the redeemer is related. Uh, there's the phrase, isn't there? Kinsman redeemer. Next of kin paying the ransom. C can you see how this applies to the Messiah? God doesn't just invite us to come back to him. He, in love, sent a person to pay the ransom. Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. And he paid that ransom by dying for our sins on the cross. And he did it as our kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer. There's a carol. We sang it last Sunday, I think. Jesus, our surety, our kinsman, redeemer. Child who inherits on the cross all our transgressions, all our demerits on him fall. Bethlehem. A place of death for Rachel. The weeping is associated with it. It's the place of birth for the Messiah. It's the place of despair for Jacob. It's the place of hope for not just Israel, but for the whole world. The Isles. That's how Jeremiah 30, the reading began. Listen, O oh, all the earth, the isles. Because here is born the one who saves. And then I ended the reading. And as we go to the communion, verse 22. For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. Nothing like this has ever happened before. A woman shall encompass a man. Now, it doesn't quite come out in the New King James, but it means a woman shall encompass a mighty one. That's the word for a man. It's a man, not with a small M, but a capital M. A woman shall encompass the mighty God. That's what it means. Now, how do you make sense of that? How can a woman who's created by God encompass the mighty God. That, that can't be. The God who has made the universe, the God who holds the world in his hands. How can a human being embrace that God? Think. When Mary held the baby Jesus in her arms, she was holding the creator and sustainer of the universe. That's the answer to that conundrum. Also, and this is even more amazing, a woman embracing the mighty God, the mighty God in the womb of Mary. 
That's never happened before. God says, I will do something in order to bring you to myself. I will do something that's never been done before, a new thing in the earth. No one has ever done this. God. Becoming a man. A woman. Being conceived by the Holy Spirit. What other religion has that? God coming himself and becoming one of us. No other religion has that. You will have an angel, you will have a prophet, but you won't have God himself becoming one of us. And when you think of why he did that, this is God's action in love towards you and me who don't deserve the least of it. And Jesus Christ coming in order to die for our sins. To pay the ransom. In order to bring us to his Father. What's stopping you from coming to Jesus Christ this morning? He's done everything. God is inviting. What's stopping? He invites unworthy people. You say you don't deserve it. Exactly, you can come. He invites weak people. You say you have no strength. Exactly, you can come. He invites unstable people. You say you're up and down. Exactly, you can come. There's no limits to the invitation. And I got to finish here because we need to go to communion. But he goes on to describe himself as a shepherd, a shepherd. The good shepherd, not just laying his life for the sheep, but the good shepherd leading the sheep. That's what they did in Bible times, not like shepherds today. Shepherds today are at the back, but shepherds in the Bible times were at the front. And Jesus Christ is the one who brings us home. Oh, my friends, it's a wonderful picture. It's (laughs) this love relationship we have with Jesus Christ. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. Even if you are weeping like Rachel this morning, he is the one who feels your sadness as we sang in that children's carol. And this is the amazing thing. Jesus Christ is the best guide you can ever have in life. Uh, You know, there are some mountains in this country. I can't go up myself. I'm not experienced enough. I need a guide. I need a guide. And... What an encouragement to have a guide who is experienced, but what an encouragement to have a guide who won't lose the way because he's been before. He's been before. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying to you and me. Are you weeping? Oh, my friend, I've been here before. I know the way through this life because I've been through it. I've been through it. Whatever you're going through now, I've been through it. 
and I've been through something that no one else in this world has been through. I've crossed the river of death. I've been through the valley of the shadow of death. And I've come through the other side. And I will bring you through that. I will bring you through that valley of shadow into the light. My friends, that's what's ahead of us. When we come to Jesus Christ, we're coming home spiritually. But what he's going to do is lead us through the wilderness of this world and take us across the river of death to go to our eternal home. And you know what he'll do there? He will wipe every tear from our eye. Every tear. Let me tell you, one second in glory will make you forget decades of heartache. There will be no more sea. Sea in the Bible stands for separation. There will be no more separation. Don't you want to go home? Don't you want to come to Jesus so that you are home spiritually and having come to him, don't you want to be where he is? To see those who've already gone ahead of us and to see him. Well, I've got to finish there, but if there are Rachels here this morning, Wipe your tears. There is hope for your future in Jesus Christ. He can bring our children to himself. However far they may be at this moment, his arms, those arms of power and of love, are not too short to reach out to them. And those arms are encompassing you as well. And let us look ever to Jesus. Don't we get distracted so easily? I, I think it's played when I walk up these steps, and it's one of the best things for me to hear and for us to hear before the service. The tune to the chorus, turn do you know it? Turn your eyes. Even if you're an Ephraim, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his beautiful face. And the things of earth, the sorrows, the tears will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. For his name's sake.